This is Focal Point for Thursday the 27th of October 2011. Ownership 2.0. Welcome to Focal Point, the podcast that shows you how to tap into the power of the internet in your business and your life. Now it's over to your hosts, Chris Pudney and Gihan Pereira for this week's edition. Hello Chris, how are you? I'm well, thanks, Kehan. I've had a nice holiday in um, both Gilderton and Melbourne recently, so I'm refreshed and energetic. How about you? Yeah, I'm really well. I was actually in Melbourne as well, but I think a week after you were. I was in yep. Melbourne and Sydney on business and a bit of a holiday. Where's Gilderton? Gilderton is Moore River, north of Perth, about an hour, and uh, went on a father-daughter camping trip there and got, got bitten to bits by sandflies, but had a great time anyway. Oh, good. And uh, Lauren didn't vote you out of the tent. That's right. <laughs> That's good. That's good. So today we're going to talk about a, a concept that, um, you know, it's been around for a while, but it's changed recently, which is about the way that we think about ownership of things. And you're the one who suggested this topic, Chris, and I know you've, you've come across this a number of different ways. I have too, but I think today what we'll do is I'll be mostly the interviewer and you can be the content expert. Sure, Gihan. Yeah, the, today's talk was inspired by a TED talk that I saw recently by Rachel Botsman called The Rise of Collaborative Consumption. And what she talks about is the way that Web 2.0 technologies have uh, enabled a new way of getting access to goods and services. And she covered, the, the, the way that you get to them is, is not new, so things like instead of owning something, you can rent or lease it, or you can borrow and you can swap and you can trade. These aren't new, but when you combine them with Web 2.0 technologies, then uh, the impact is, uh, is quite astonishing. There's all kinds of new and interesting services around that have made uh, ownership maybe a thing of the past. So that's, uh, that was quite inspiring, and that's uh, what we're going to talk about today. Yeah, and I, was, I watched that talk after you referred me to, Chris, and I think one of the things that still stands out in my mind is when she talks about the, the actual use of a, of a drill, <laughs> that she says that the typical drill, the typical power drill, has a, probably a life use of about five or six minutes, if that, if that, and yet it just sits in our shed or in the, in the toolbox for, for years and years and years and hardly ever gets used, and most of its life is wasted. Yeah, it's astonishing, isn't it? Uh, as she said, all you really want is a, a set of holes, um, but you've got this uh, expensive drill that you might use. I think she said about 13 minutes is the average lifetime. So 13, yeah. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so uh, the, the reason that this, uh, that this talk's come about is because uh, Web 2.0 technologies have evolved, and also another, another stream is that we've got stuff that we can have that is digital. So we've got all kinds of things like digital music, and digital uh, movies and ebooks and software as well. So things like that are really easy to, to move about because they're not actually physical objects. They are they're digital things that we can copy and share quite easily using the internet. But as well as digital stuff, uh, Web 2.0 is now allowing us to share physical stuff like our uh, useless or unused power drills. Uh, and the reason for that is because the internet has such great reach. So whereas in the past, if you wanted to, say, trade and sell stuff, you might have put a listing in the local classifieds of your newspaper or in one of those um, swapping magazines. There's one in Perth called Quokka or, or trading magazines called Quokka. But that really only circulated amongst uh, your, your local neighbourhood, your local population. But now with the internet, you have access to people buying, selling, trading, leasing, renting all over the globe. And so that makes it a lot easier to match 
products with markets. Yeah, and as, as I was, as we were thinking about the, in the last few weeks when you suggested this topic, as I've been listening to a number of podcasts, I came across one, and by coincidence, they talked about this this idea, which I think is really relevant, uh, that economists have this, this phrase called the coincidence of wants, or sometimes called the double coincidence of wants, which says that typically in a market, if there's no currency, if there's no money, actually trading is quite difficult because you might have something that I want from you, Chris, so I want to buy it, but if I want to, but it's very unlikely that you've, that I've got something that you want at the, exactly the same time that's good comparable value so it's very difficult for us to do a transaction because one of us is going to miss out uh, so you've got to wait until there's a coincidence of wants that the buyer wants something the seller wants something and you trade and the, so there are two solutions to that and the one that we typically use is that we have this intermediate thing called money so that if I have some money I will give it to you and then you can use it later with some other want with some other seller uh, so there is this thing called money which takes away the need for that coincidence but the other solution is yeah you just got to find somebody else who's got the want so you've got to find those coincidences and now as you said with the internet it's so much easier to match the products and services and find that double coincidence of want so you can do without money and you can do with temporary ownership of things because it's so much easier now to connect your markets to the products and services yeah, and a good example of that is given by Rachel in her TED Talk, where she talks about the box set of the TV series 24. She's watched it, she's loved it, but she's probably never going to watch it again. And what she really wants is uh, a box set of some other TV series that she's really interested in. So she goes to a website called SwapTree, and she finds that there is a person who has got that particular TV series box set and wants 24 and so they engage in a transaction to swap their DVD box sets and everyone's happy. But as you say, that coincidence of once uh, in a world pre-Web 2.0 might have been difficult to satisfy. It would have been. It would have been. And uh, I guess if we if we take a step back and look at this, we've got we've actually mentioned a couple of examples already. But there's different kinds of ownership, aren't there? There's that you've already mentioned selling and trade, uh, sorry, trading and swapping. But there's actually different kinds of ways that you can own stuff now. Yeah, that's right. So they've, they've been around for a while and now they're, uh, there's this uh, convergence with Web 2.0. So perhaps one of the ones people might be familiar with is what's called no ownership, where you pay to use something. So for instance, uh, something people are doing quite a lot already is subscribing to digital streaming services. So rather than in the good old days, way, way back in the mists of time, there were these things called CDs and DVDs where you actually got your digital media on a physical object. Uh, those things are pretty rare these days. Uh, and along came digital goods like uh, audio files and movie files, which you could download. But now, rather than owning those audio and digital files, you can uh, pay just to each time you watch them. So there are streaming services for audio. I use one called GrooveShark for music, and there are several others. And then uh, Netflix and other uh, providers in the US are now streaming movies, and they're emerging here in Australia as well. And you just pay to subscribe to their services, and when you want to watch uh, a movie, you, uh, you stream it to your, to your local device. Uh, and the same with music. And it's become so common now, I've noticed that with software as well, that you know, if you want to subscribe to, if you want to send out email newsletters, you can subscribe to a service like MailChimp, which for $20 a month you can send you know, between two and 5,000 
subscribers, I think, and you, n- you never owned the service, but you subscribed to it, whereas in the past, you used to buy some software and you pay a once-off fee for it. In fact, in my own business, Chris, I changed my business model uh, some years ago where for my web design business where we used to build web uh, build websites and sell people a one-off uh, for a one-off price. Uh, we'd sell them the whole package with newsletters and shopping carts and all sorts of other things built in, and then I changed it, so we charged them less up front, and we charged an ongoing license fee and uh, that's been a very profitable well it's been a very positive model because it's been profitable for me because I've got a recurring income stream now but also I'd like to think that it's been very profitable and effective and positive for my clients because because they're subscribing to a service it means that I can keep upgrading the service I can offer consulting I can create ebooks and video tutorials that help them use the service better so they continue to pay a subscription fee and as a result of that they, the software doesn't uh, – if they've only paid for it once off, then it goes out of date or it gets old, whereas this way they're paying an ongoing subscription, so they're entitled to getting ongoing service from it as well. Yeah, so it's not just digital goods, as, is it, Kihan, as well as uh, things like software, movies and audio. It's now physical goods that can be shared uh, using Web 2.0 or or not owned but paper usage. So thing, there are, there's a company called Zipcar. I think they're one of the first – that uh, allows people to, when they need access to a car, they don't have to own a car. It's a bit like renting a car. They just uh, go to the Zipcar website. That uh, They have to be members, and I expect they pay, uh, pay up front to have uh, a certain amount of usage uh, in advance. And then the website shows them where the, the nearest Zipcar is, and they can walk or ride to it, uh, swipe uh, some device uh, to give them access to the car, and away they go. And uh, more recently, another company called GoGet has set up a similar scheme um, in Australia. And I think you have some experience with GoGet, don't you, Kihan? Yeah, and I think this is a really good example of what you were saying earlier, Chris, that the car rental companies have been around for ages. They've been around for a long time, but there's been a lot of friction associated with, with renting a car. You have to go there and you have to sign insurance forms and you have to make sure the car, that their car is available. And then suddenly, and nowadays, the web has made all of that much easier. It's much easier now. So now you can, you can do exactly what you said. You go to a website and you find where there's a car parked and then you can go and get access to it. And GoGet is one of those services. It's one that um, our friend Maureen, who lives in Sydney, she gave up her car a couple of years Years ago, and because she found that she found that she wasn't using it very much, she was taking the bus to work or walking to work because she was working in the city, and she was really only using the car on weekends for a couple of hours a week. So she got rid of it and has started using um, GoGet uh, for using for for all her driving now. So she yeah she has a GoGet car within a few minutes of her, and she can just look online and see see when there's one available, and then she goes and takes it, takes it for as long as she wants, and then goes and parks it somewhere else or back back where she originally got it from. And it just works on a very simple web-based system. And in fact, it's, it almost works on an honesty system. So if you – I don't even think that the, the go-get parking spots have special sensors that tell you when the car has been returned. It kind of relies on the users themselves uh, being honest about returning the car at the right time, and if somebody else reports you, then you get fined if you haven't if you haven't been honest about it. Uh, and in fact, last week when I was at, when I was in Sydney, I was staying at Maureen's house. She was away, and she gave me access to her house. And I saw that the, she got a sticker from GoGet that said something like, uh, "Please use my parking space because we use GoGet." So GoGet is promoting the fact that they've got the, that their, their users no longer need parking spaces. 
Very cool. Yeah, we in our, on our trip to Melbourne, we stayed with our friends Mark and Dealer, who also live uh, in inner city Melbourne, and they don't have a car. They rely on public transport, walking in their bikes, and go get. They're also uh, subscribers to the go get service, and um, there was a go get car parked near them in their Coles car park. I don't know if anyone is using it. But yeah, it's a, it's a great idea. It's very tempting to want to move back to the inner city so we can get rid of our car as well. Yeah, and it's an example. Like cars, like grills, don't get used much. They sit in they sit in parking spaces most of the time, and not everyone's really uh, on board with this. So one of the councils in Sydney, Waverley Council, announced that it it used to like it used to provide free parking spaces for GoGet, which is of course a good thing uh, for the community. But they just announced that they now want to charge GoGet for the use of parking spaces because I guess that they feel like this is a private company that's uh, taking advantage of the generosity of the council. So not everyone is yet on board with some of these more progressive ideas. Okay. Well, another no-ownership model is borrowing and sharing. And there's this idea called neighbour goods, which I really like, which is uh, sharing between your neighbours um, various things, like maybe you've got that power drill that uh, is really expensive, but it's not actually doing much. So you can allow people in your local neighbourhood uh, access to those kinds of tools that aren't being used much uh, and uh, might get better usage uh, from someone else. And in fact, there are systems that allow you to to charge and earn a little bit of money from that kind of sharing. Uh, they do, we don't have GoGet or Zipcar in Perth, unfortunately, but we do have a different car sharing scheme called Drive My Car. So this is different from GoGet, which has a pool of cars that they own and uh, members of GoGet uh, have access to them. With Drive My Car, you have a website and you can list your own car as being available to other website Drive My Car members, and they can lease it from you. So, you know, our car sits idle in our garage 23 hours out of 24, probably, but we could make a little bit of money by making it available to other people to drive. And uh, that's, that's a great idea. You can actually get a little bit of income from that. Another scheme is uh, land share, which is uh, if you've got a bit of spare uh, ground in your backyard, uh, and someone wants to grow veggies on it, then um, you allow them access to it. They grow their veggies, they take their crop home, and they give you uh, a commission in vegetables and fruit as well. So that's uh, borrowing and sharing under this ownership 2.0 model. Yeah, and it's again and, uh, something that's only been it's only been practical and feasible recently. Um, and I guess the other the, the next thing is the idea of having low ownership, where we talked about being able to share and rent out some of the things that you do own, that, that you do own, but there are other things where you don't necessarily own it full time. Yeah, so swapping and trading and bartering uh, is uh, an example of that. And the, the one that Rachel Botsman uh, mentioned in her TED talk was formerly called SwapTree, now it's called Swap.com. And again, that's a site where you list things that you own, but uh, you're no longer, you no longer want, and you also list things that you want. Uh, but don't yet have, and then it, that website allows uh, you to match your the things that you have with uh, people who have the things that you want, and you can arrange a swap through that system. Um, I haven't used SwapTree, but now that I'm aware of it, I'm certainly going to give it a look. Another system of low ownership is recycling. So uh, once you've something that you have is no longer of any use to you, you can opt to recycle it. Now, rather than just uh, going to your local recycling depot or maybe to an op shop and giving it away, you can use the internet to find people who might 
uh, want that good or you can find goods that other people might want and you need. And there's a website, or a, it's not so much as a website as a series of mailing lists called freecycle.org. And uh, depending on where you live, uh, you subscribe to the freecycle.org mailing list in your local area. Because obviously if someone's got a fridge that they don't want and it's in San Francisco and you live in Perth, that's not of much use to you. So you subscribe to the list that makes sense, freecycle.org, there's one for Perth. I used to be on that list, but unfortunately it's such a high volume list and had so little on it that I wanted, I no longer subscribe. But when I do have stuff that um, I want to recycle, like old work PCs, I've listed them on freecycle.org and uh, they've been snapped up really quickly. So it's a good way of getting rid of stuff that you don't want anymore um, and having those people who need it come to you and take it off your hands. And, sorry, Gihan, yep. Oh, look, I was just going to say that it's probably what you're going to get up to next, which is the biggest biggest example of this is eBay, isn't it? Is that what you're going to talk about next? Absolutely, yeah. So uh, you can swap stuff, you can barter, or you can recycle stuff, or you can actually sell used gear that you no longer need. And uh, eBay is probably foremost amongst uh, the websites that support that kind of exchange. And it's something that I've been using for, goodness knows, decades now. Um, you know, the bargain hunter in me uh, makes me perhaps a bit of an eBay addict. So, yeah, I have bought and sold tons of stuff on eBay, new stuff, used stuff, you name it. Um, eBay is the place to go for that kind of thing and uh, does a huge amount of trade in used goods. It definitely does. I remember reading a stat, this is quite a while ago now, that said that eBay is now the world's biggest used car sales dealership. Wow. So you're talking about even even things like cars, which uh, which normally wouldn't think. Okay, I'll just I'll just stick my car on eBay, and yet people do. I noticed something recently with eBay is that they seem to now be attracting a lot more professional merchants, and they've even changed their pricing system recently, where they it's it's more of a disincentive for the the casual uh, the casual. Uh, Shopper, uh, well, actually, it's okay. it's okay for the shopper, but the casual merchant who just wants to put their unwanted goods on eBay, it seems like they're, they're much more promoting the whole idea of the buy it now and the, the professional service where professional merchants and professional vendors are going on eBay. Yeah, I don't think it's to the disadvantage of sellers, Gihan, because I've certainly been selling quite a bit of junk recently. <laughs> and um, in fact, they've lowered the barriers to entry. There used to be a whole series of listing fees that um, eBay uh, had in place, and they've made it a lot cheaper to list stuff um, if you're a casual seller, as well as a merchant. So they're really trying to attract as many of both kinds of um, sellers onto eBay. Um, and some of the stuff that I sold recently, used stuff, I also listed on Gumtree, which is another um, sort of like an online classifieds uh, website, web service, and got practically zero interest from that. But the, then I switched over to eBay and got rid of the stuff much more quickly using eBay. Oh, that's really good. That's really good. And I think we, we can't end this section, Chris, without you talking about how you set up eBay for CDs and how you, that made you into an internet gazillionaire. It did. Uh, how much is a gazillion again? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. So back in the 90s, it started, uh, yeah, I started with a, a website that um, allowed you to list CDs or, in, in fact, any audio uh, um, recordings that you might have, physical audio recordings that you might have and want to either trade or sell. Um, because I was a keen uh, uh, trader of music myself, so I wanted to set up a service and uh, learn how to do PHP programming as it was in those days. 
And so, yeah, I had that site running for several years. And as you say, it was highly successful and I made myself a gazillion. Well, to be to be fair, it was highly successful for the people who are using it. And I think you provide a really valuable service, which was bringing those buyers and sellers and traders together. Yeah. Yep. And there, there were... The reason I gave it up, Gihan, was because there were many other websites doing the same kind of thing much better. And so there's uh, GEM, for example, Global Electronic Music Marketplace. They're a huge, um, huge used music trading website uh, for, which focuses primarily on music listings. Yeah, great. So let's talk about the sort of things that you can that you can share or trade or buy and sell because we've talked about the different kinds of ownership, but there's there are different categories of products that you've got. That's right. So as we mentioned at the beginning of the talk, it's the easiest thing to shift around with digital goods. So audio recordings and movie files and uh, now ebooks and software, particularly games, were really easy, are, are really easy to shift. And now they've switched from the actual files, downloading them, to streaming them and pay-per-use. It's one of those things that's a little bit hard to wrap your mind around for, for a couple of reasons. So first of all, there, there are a lot of people who share things illegally because, they, because it's easy to do so. So whereas previously, if you had a book and you want to share it with somebody, you had to lend it, and then you don't have the copy of the book unless you went down to the library and photocopied every page. Whereas nowadays, if you download an e-book as a PDF file, it's just as easy to email it to somebody, and you've still got, you've still got the file. So that's one of the problems with sharing, that you have to find a system that allows, if you want to lend lend products, you've got to find a way that allows you to, to lend it in a way that the copyright holder um, allows and doesn't doesn't permit a, any sort of unauthorized lending. And I remember way back in the 80s or 90s, Chris, when we first started programming, and when I first started working in business, there was a company called Borland, which created software, and I remember their license, they, they didn't prevent you from making multiple copies, but their license basically said, please treat this like a book. In other words, if you've got a copy of the software on your computer and you're, you're done with it, then delete it and then you're, you're welcome to pass on the, the disks as they were in those days, the floppy disks to somebody else. So they didn't mind other people having it, like you reusing the software, as long as there was only one copy of that software license that had been bought and then you were welcome to share it. More recently, Amazon has done something similar with their ebooks. So they've got, if you now download ebooks to your Kindle, there's a 14 day lending feature. So it's like what we used to do with books, that you could lend it to somebody for 14 days, and during that time, you've got no access to it, and they have. And I just saw recently that they're now making their uh, e-books and their Kindle available free to public libraries, so they have some sort of license there which allows libraries to lend out those books just the same as they lend out printed books. Have you found any libraries doing that, Gihan? I haven't. I haven't, and I don't know how soon it will be before Australian libraries uh, roll out that feature. But uh, it's it's really interesting because in the past you'd think, well, like publishers are okay with libraries because they've still bought one copy of the book, even though it gets reused over and over again. But it seems like uh, Amazon's now going to kind of encourage, well, it's now going to allow libraries to lend their books free. which would take away from their, their sales. So it's really changing the whole economics and the business model around around sales of electronic products. And I wonder whether Amazon or others might move to that as well, where like uh, audio and movies can be streamed, whether you can pay per read of an ebook. So you buy a fee, you subscribe to an Amazon library, let's say, and uh, you pay per book that you read, but you don't actually have the ebook or own the ebook. 
if you see what I mean. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I think we might get to that stage because books are the sort of things which you might read once or maybe twice, but probably not more than that. Exactly, yeah. So as well as electronic goods, uh, physical goods as well uh, can be uh, traded or shared or borrowed. Uh, so even I set up a, a website, to Offload Online was focused on trading of CDs, uh, but Swaptree.com, they uh, deal with all kinds of uh, CDs and DVDs and other goods that you might want to swap. And we've spoken about people uh, trading, uh, sharing cars and appliances. And there are websites for uh, doing house swaps. Pretty much anything you can imagine uh, is um, able to be shared or borrowed or leased or rented uh, using these new kinds of ownership 2.0 technologies. Yeah, and I think uh, we shouldn't end without talking about people as well. So whereas previously people were attached to a single employer, that's no longer the case now. And uh, I think there's benefits for both sides that as an employee, you can be a free agent and you can provide your services on, on platforms like elance.com where other where um, employers or who would have previously been employers would outsource to you. And there are other things like crowdsourcing, like 99designs.com is a website where if you're looking to get some graphic design done, you say that you are and a number of designers will will do draft designs for you. It's like running a competition and you can you can pick the one that you want. So you're no longer that that employer to employee tie is no longer as strong. Fantastic. So this all sounds really good, Chris. Like there's there's all these services that you can swap and there now uh, websites that allow you to do that. So what can go wrong? Nothing. (laughs) <laughs> Nothing can go wrong. Uh, things can go wrong. So uh, most of these models rely on some uh, degree of trust between strangers. So really, how can you sh- be sure that you're not going to be ripped off? And when I first started doing, you know, trading CDs back in the 90s, I was a little bit, uh, I felt a bit of trepidation about, you know, sending sending money. In those days, you'd ha- I'd have to write a check and send it off to somebody because there was no PayPal or, or way of um, transferring money between banks easily. Uh, and then they would receive the check and they'd send me the CD. Um, and I've been doing, you know, I've gone from that model to the modern ownership 2.0 model. And there have been, I could count on one hand the number of occasions when things have gone wrong. And I don't think, you know, a CD might not have turned up. And I don't think I was being ripped off. I just think things got lost in the mail. And a couple of times, you know, when I've sent stuff, it hasn't arrived. And I know I haven't tried to rip someone off. Just things, just things went astray. So I've done a lot of this. And um, and it was all based on trust, and and it's turned out to be uh, not a problem at all. But there is that that feeling when you when you're first getting into it of how can I trust these people? And so now that we have these Web 2.0 websites that are making it all possible, they've recognised this, and so what they have implemented are systems of online reputation. So many of these services provide mechanisms whereby you can rate the person that you've dealt with in each transaction. And then using those ratings, you can kind of gauge the trustworthiness of the person that you're going to be dealing with. And Rachel Botsman, in her talk, she calls this kind of online reputation a new kind of digital currency. And it is a very valuable thing. I'm really um, careful to ensure that on eBay, where I've got like a 100% satisfaction rating, and that's over more than 500 transactions, that I want to preserve that because whenever I'm involved in a transaction, I look at the other person's um, rating on eBay, and if it's not better than 98 or 99%, I sort of I, I consider doing business with them twice. It's 
you know, most people have got a really high rating and if it's less than 98, you sort of think, mm, is this person a bit dodgy? So I'm really careful to preserve that rating. And I know that others uh, that I've dealt with are always keen to impress upon me that if I'm happy with the transaction, to please leave positive feedback for them. Yeah, and I, I'm exactly the same. I don't use eBay as much as you do, Chris, but the, on the few occasions that I do, the, probably the thing that counts most for me is the rating. And I was going to say all other things being equal, but even if some things are unequal, even a, I, I don't mind paying a slightly higher price to somebody who has a stronger rating than somebody who doesn't. Uh, and I've noticed the same thing with Elance. So Elance is something that I've used more than, say, eBay. So I outsource work to Elance providers, and those providers are very, very careful to make sure that they preserve their five-star rating. And uh, if there's a problem and you make even you make a comment that even implies that they may not get a perfect rating, then they're usually pretty quick to turn it around and fix it. Um, in fact, I almost think that they, they'd rather get the five-star rating than get paid the full price. You know, they're, they're willing to do whatever it takes to make sure that their online reputation is preserved. Yeah. And as a consequence, in addition to these online rep- uh, reputation systems, uh, the services also offer a kind of safety net. So they have dispute resolu- resolution services. So if you are, you know, if you haven't been paid for something or a service or a good hasn't arrived or been provided, then uh, rather than uh, fighting it out by giving each other bad ratings, before the fight ensues, the services offer a kind of mediation service where uh, some kind of conflict resolution process has gone through. I've never had to use that on something like eBay, but I know that it exists. And uh, eBay in particular also offer offer another kind of safety net, which is uh, a money-back guarantee if you use uh, their PayPal payment system. They own PayPal, and so if you pay for something and it doesn't arrive or a service isn't provided, then uh, you've got some kind of cover if you've paid using PayPal. And similarly, many credit card companies offer similar kinds of protection um, uh, if a, a good or a service isn't provided. Yeah, and like you, I've never had to use that, but it reassures me to know that that's in place. Yeah. So, so just what can we do, Chris? So we talked a lot about what is available. So what can our listeners do if they want to take advantage of this whole idea of the, the, the change of ownership, ownership 2.0? Sure. Well, if you're a consumer, then uh, you know that these kinds of services exist because we've just told you about them. And so you can start thinking about, have you got uh, goods or services that you own and instead of or, or are going to buy? Instead of buying, considering can I rent or lease that service? You know, Sheree and I, our car is getting over 10 years old now and we hardly use it. We, Lauren walks to school, Sheree catches public transport to work. And I work from home. Our car hardly gets used. It's done very few miles in the 10 years that we own it, but it is getting old and expensive to maintain. I want to move back to the inner city, Gihan, so I can use Go Gets and Zipcar. <laughs> well, you have to move to a different inner city at the moment. That's right, uh, or closer to someone who's offering their car on Drive My Car. Yeah, look, and I think there is still a psychological obstacle to a psychological barrier for many people that I know, I know it's true for me. I still want to own books, and now I've switched to ebooks, but I still like the idea of having ownership of them on my tablet so I can have access to them at any time. Um, same with music and DVDs, and this is like it's not even rational, and I realise this that it's it's rare that I'll watch DVDs again. I'm the sort of person who will watch it, watch a DVD more than once, but it's rarely more than twice or three times. Uh, same with books, and I have a large library of printed books, and I'm, my ebook library is growing, and I still have this irrational want, to, uh, desire to own stuff. Uh, so I think it's like get over it and. Uh, 
think about like how much you're really going to use it and if you have to pay the the rental fee three times for an ebook or for a a DVD to watch a movie three times, they're still better, they're still cheaper, you're still better off than, than buying it once. Absolutely, yeah, it's the same with me, Kihan. I've just spent a huge amount of time and effort building a lovely set of bookcases to hold my books that I probably aren't going to read any of them again, and I'm thinking <laughs> I could have saved myself a lot of time and money by just buying a tablet and uh, and buying the, buying the e-books that I'm going to read in future rather than uh, having the physical books and storing them and building bookcases and wasting time <laughs> trying to assemble bookcases. Exactly, exactly. And look, and I think the other side of the transaction is what you do if you're a business owner. So as a business, think about what you can sell, the, what you're currently selling, that you may be able to switch into a subscription model so you can rent instead or, or lease instead. And even think about the other way around. There may be stuff that you're renting that makes sense for you to sell as a once-off, which means yeah. that you know, had to worry about uh, keeping keeping it up to date, doing the ongoing service that people understand, that your customers understand. They buy it once off, and then that's all they need. They, they, they that's the end of the transaction. Although I think most businesses work in the other way, that you want to keep that connection and keep keep that relationship with the customer in the long term. Absolutely. And finally, can you create a marketplace for matching people and products? Like I did, I did it with OfflineOnline.com. That worked. Uh, and I know that you've created a community, Gihan, for the people uh, that you work with. Uh, that, that brings people together and they, they might find one another uh, as a consequence of setting up something like a Ning community. So it's really easy to do. Te- the technology already exists for doing this quite easily. So you might be the kind of person who, who uh, can set up uh, that kind of service. It, it isn't that hard. Yeah, exactly. And you actually mentioned the word, the magic word is Ning, N-I-N-G. Ning.com yep. allows you to set up what is in effect like a private version of Facebook, but you can set up your own community. You can make it public so anyone can join. The hard thing in there is getting the engagement and getting people participating because there's so many other places where they could spend their time. But you're quite right. You could set up a community that brings people together and people with that, with that coincidence of wants. Excellent. All right, so uh, we'll have uh, links to some of the things that we've mentioned in today's podcast in the blog notes uh, for this particular episode. And then we'll talk again in about a month's time, Gihan, won't we? Yes, and we should talk about a book, Chris, because uh, we thought that we might have it in our hot little hands by today for this in time for this podcast. Well, I have had one copy in my hot little hands, which is a proof copy, and so now it's just at the printers. So I reckon within a week or two, we will have uh, our copies, and they'll be they'll be streaming off the bookshelves like hotcakes. Fantastic. Well, we can talk about that in a month's time, can't we? And we will. We'll, we'll talk about the topic of out of office in a month's time. I think that would be the perfect timing. All right. Speak to you then, Gihan. Great. Thanks very much, Chris. Bye for now. You've been listening to the Focal Point Podcast. You can find us on the web at www.focalpointpodcast.com. Subscribe to the podcast, listen to our past episodes or leave us your comments or questions. We look forward to having you back next time.